0: I know I'm kind of off to the races with some of those songs because I like them a lot. And it's like uh, that song, Because We Believe. um, That was the first time, uh, or we practiced it, but uh, this Sunday is the first time I've ever done that song on a worship team. And so I was like, I know a bow diddly rhythm. I'm going to be off to the races. And... um, You know, it was like, hail, hail, hail Jesus, you're my king. So, (sighs) thank you for being patient with me. (laughs) So, uh, well, here we are, guys. So, Richard, you can go to the first slide. I hope there's slides. Yes, there's not slides. Okay, here we go. All right, so... Here we are. Oh, I'm sorry, Uh, children, you're excused. So the title for today's message is God Gives Love. Uh, With each of the weeks, we've been talking about a different theme and uh, how God gives it. Um, We've been in a series called In the Waiting. We'll touch on that in a second. But today is God Gives Love. We're going to uh, look at the passage Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring today is that God's love transcends our trials and redefines our reality. God's love transcends our trials and redefines our reality. So you can go to the next slide too. So I was finishing out my spring term in my second year at Clackamas Community College when I received an amazing gift from my girlfriend, Angie. It's the same Angie that I'm married to today. Uh, I was, I'd spent the year uh, driving pizza delivery for Zappos Pizza in Milwaukee, Oregon. Um, making pizzas, driving them to people's houses. It was awesome and I was heavily using my CD player in my 1991 Ford Taurus sedan to make the drive a little bit easier. I loved and hated that car. (laughs) And, you know, since we had been spending a lot of time together and because she knew about my excellent taste in music, she had clued into the fact that I had my eyes on the 2007 uh, Greatest Hits compilation album by the rock group the police there was a hole in my life i was sending out an sos and since every little thing she does is magic angie went out of her way to get me that album and i felt like i was walking on the moon those are some song references there for you look it up later it's really great okay anyway the next week though i was at this prayer group that me and some friends were a part of and I was shooting the breeze right before we were going to get started, and I was talking to my friend Jeff, and I just blurted out in conversation, I said, man, Angie really loves me, and Jeff kind of shot me the sideways glance and said, yeah, <laughs> and I said, yeah, she got me the CD by the police, it's really awesome, to which he replied, ah, cool, and then we started talking about something else, it was a really awkward moment, I'm not going to lie, even. <laughs> And so even though, you know, we moved on in that conversation, I really felt like I had just stuck my foot in my mouth and, you know, bragging like a silly guy, but I was silly in love. But any, anyway, what I was trying to share in that moment was that through this simple gift that I think probably cost her sixteen ninety nine dollars or something at the time, I felt seen and known And cared for by Angie and I was really glad for that and don't we all have kind of the shared experience with receiving and giving of gifts that's why we have this time of year in a lot of ways and how we practice it we equate this feeling of quote I am loved with I get what I want Right? Which means that the reverse is also true, that we often equate the feeling of being unloved with we don't get what we want. And doesn't that really cheapen the idea of love and giving? But I think at some level we turn our human connection and relationships into this kind of transaction that's really only a way to satisfy us what would it look like if love were actually something more you know because of our horizontal connections with other people in the height of the holiday season it's easy for us to default to that attitude or feeling but what about our vertical relationship and connection with god does god only love us when things are going good what, you know, Or when we are doing good, does he only love us then? Or does his love actually go beyond that level of transaction to something a bit more? What does it look like for God to still love us when nothing is going our way? Will we accept God's love in the middle of all of that, even if it doesn't fix the problems that we face? Let's find out together. So today, like I mentioned, marks the fourth installment in our Advent series titled In the Waiting, and over the last couple of weeks we've been on a journey to explore the common themes, I'm sure you've heard them a million times in your life, of the season leading up to Christmas by looking at some of the different places in the Bible that actually point us to the first Advent of the hebrew messiah the savior of the world jesus christ now our source text has been kind of an obscure one in some ways the last couple of weeks has been some select writings from the prophet isaiah of the old testament and the situation that god's people found them in themselves in was they were living out the outcome Of generations of rebellion and idolatry and breaking their covenant with their God Yahweh which was resulting in them being exiled from their home in the promised land and what we see through the writings of Isaiah is that along with the righteous judgments that were being issued to the people there was actually a promised future redemption for God's people so in the confusion in the mess in the destitute in the pain in the waiting god gave his word spoken through the prophets like isaiah to bring hope joy peace and love into their situation before the promise was going to be realized Each of the passages that we've looked at in Isaiah ultimately point us to God's promise being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we'll see in our short time together that God's love transcends our trials and redefines our reality. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. I'm sure you're already there. Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along on the screen or whatever translation you wish to read is a-okay with me as long as you read it. So here we go. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, He will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given through the prophet Isaiah. And the first thing we learn from our passage is that god's sovereignty reveals more than his greatness it reveals his heart of love toward us this passage is written from the perspective of the coming messiah and reveals what his calling and mission would eventually be when he arrived so when we read in verse 1 that yahweh himself That's what, you know, the the word Lord in all capital letters in your translation, that's what it's referring to is God's personal covenant-keeping name Yahweh. Uh, At least that's how we think it's supposed to be pronounced. We can talk about that another time. But Yahweh himself, God, has anointed, he set apart and covered this servant, the Messiah, with his sovereign stamp of approval. And we're reminded through that who god is in the first place god is god and we are not god is sovereign which means that god is over and above all things in and through what we call time and space god is all-knowing because he sees the beginning and the promise he sees the middle in the waiting and he sees the fulfillment in the end which one way of looking at the sovereignty of god in relation to life here on earth is kind of like looking at a parade from an aerial view you know if you're in one of those really awesome blimps that flies over a parade um, as the eye in the sky you can see where the parade starts You can see every detail along the route as it unfolds and you can see the end and everything that happens in between all at the same time when you're above it all in a similar way god sees all of our life and existence from a view that sees our beginning it sees our journey and our process and ultimately our end So even though sometimes in life it's hard for us, I don't know about you, but it's hard to see the forest from the trees, God sees it all and knows everything that has happened, that is happening, and will happen in the end. And isn't that awesome? Another way that God is sovereign is that he is king. He rules over all his created order. It's kind of like that old spiritual used to say, he's got the whole world in his hands. And this truth about God and his sovereignty leads us to awe and wonder at his greatness. Even for people who don't like God, this is an idea that's as big as the universe. And so while the future words of the Messiah call us to remember how great and powerful god truly is we see something more than what the bible calls god's mighty hand and outstretched arm i believe what we get to see is god's heart through what the messiah is called to do yahweh the lord has anointed the messiah to proclaim good news to the poor to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim some translations say liberty for the captives and release for the prisoners freedom and this list of actions reminds me of what God told Moses on the backside of a mountain in Exodus chapter 3 where he tells Moses I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers yes I am aware of their suffering so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians." and lead them out of Egypt into their fertile and spacious land. God sees. God hears. And God knows where you're at. And he knows what you're going through. And even though he is a big God, who is sovereign and above and over all things, he cares about you. And he cares about me. So when you're facing the unknown or you feel like your life is being turned upside down and you feel like you're all alone, the truth truly is that God is right there with you in the middle of the waiting. And the thing that he wants you to know is that you are loved by a God who sees you, who knows you, who hopes and dreams for you beyond your wildest imaginations. And he has a plan and a future for you, even right where you're at. And nothing can change the fact that he loves you deeply. Nothing you can do, say, or think will ever change how much he loves you. So if God's sovereignty reveals more than his greatness and it reveals his heart of love toward us, then we also see through that mission of the Messiah that God's love transcends our trials and our circumstance and it redefines our reality. Next, we learn from our passage that God's grace is where his love and justice meet, resulting in our freedom. In verses 1 and 2, we get that promise that the Messiah would proclaim both freedom uh, for the captives and the year of the Lord's favor, which is a direct link to to the practice and the rhythm in the Old Testament law called the year of Jubilee. You may have heard of it before. Now in Leviticus 25, we're not going to read the whole thing, bless God, this morning we're not going to do that because it's a long chapter but in Leviticus 25 look it up God told the people that just as they had set aside one day for Sabbath rest every year or sorry huh, every year every week and every seventh year they should let the land rest from planting and harvesting and that after seven groups of these seven years there would be this year-long time of redemption called jubilee and this was a year when all slaves in the entire country hebrew or otherwise would be set free all debts would be forgiven all land would be restored to its family of origin everyone everywhere in the promised land would have an extended period of rest take place every 50th year it's kind of like bankruptcy it just clears the slate a little bit never mind anyway so here we go but but jubilee that's the closest american thing that we have to jubilee just being real but the nature of jubilee it foreshadows the ministry of the messiah to bring about freedom and favor and ultimately restoration to the people Did anyone notice, I'm sure you did, because you guys are observant, that our country added a national holiday this last year? And it wasn't like Donut Day or Coffee Day, although those deserve a day, (laughs) for real. Um, I did, I noticed this. On June 19th, we now observe a day that's called Juneteenth. It's not something that's just made up pluck out of thin air. I was looking on doing some research about it in case you didn't know, and you just thought, ah, another national holiday. Okay, Wikipedia, which I mean, it's a collective source of information, but it's recent, so I I trust it a little bit more. Juneteenth commemorates the anniversary date of June 19th, 1865, when the announcement of general order number three by Union Army General Gordon Granger proclaiming freedom for slaves in Texas which was the last state of the Confederacy with institutional slavery. That's nearly two and a half years after President Abraham Lincoln's famous Emancipation Proclamation that was made on New Year's Day of 1863. So the slaves in Texas hadn't heard the good news of freedom that lincoln had issued they just carried on business as usual with the reality that was right in front of them and the freeing of slaves in america was a process that didn't just happen overnight even though the president himself had issued that decree of freedom it wasn't until that message was delivered to the people that these words of freedom could actually be applied and acted upon now with the Bible's idea of Jubilee and moments like Juneteenth these moments made the experiences of freedom a normal part of experiencing justice because more than just coming to a right judgment on an issue the point of justice is to rectify a situation That we find ourselves in whether we're crushed by a mountain of debt that just needs to have those slate wiped clean or we've become slave to a person place or a thing justice is about setting things right and bringing us to the place of being truly free now for the people in Isaiah's day hearing this message for the first time kind of would have been like salt in the wound because they were in a place where they were experiencing God's anger and judgment against their sin. In fact, there's a lot of passages in Isaiah that we haven't covered because of just the short time of Advent, where God calls the people out of their sin and calls them to repent and turn back to him. But after year, after year, after year of their ignoring his calls the course of events were set and they were headed into exile to live out the consequences of their actions for breaking covenant with their God and to a people who were in the middle of their mess mourning what had been lost in his love God gave them a promise that there would come a day when he would send a Messiah, a Deliverer, a Savior, who would rectify their situation and bring them back to a place of freedom and favor. So the words we read in Isaiah 61 show us just how gracious and compassionate God truly is. He's not just a meanie in the sky. He actually cares. And even though they hadn't earned it, They didn't deserve it. God gave himself to this mission to free his people and show them favor. God's grace is where his love and justice meet, which ultimately results in our freedom. So wherever you're at today, whatever you're facing, God loves you. And even if that doesn't immediately fix Or maybe even ever fix what you're going through in the waiting in the pain in the suffering in the mess in the process god's love transcends our trials and has the power to redefine our reality now we also learn from our passage next slide that repentance exchanges our grieving for God's good. So rounding out uh, the section of Isaiah 61, verse 3, it says, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness they will be called great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Where it says all who mourn it can either be talking about people who are grieving a loss of someone or something or in hebrew it can also be referring to someone who has remorse over their sin which is kind of like what we talked about a number of weeks ago when we were talking about john the baptist and the people coming out in the wilderness and confessing their sins they were having remorse they were having a contrite heart to confess their sins and be made right with God. So, in either case, whether they're mourning the loss of a person, place, or thing, or they're mourning the lo- over their sin, r- the redeemed people of Israel who have their ashes exchanged for beauty and their mourning traded for what's the other word? Mourning for blessing, right? Um, They became seen as righteous, which means that they are now in right standing with God. And the truth is that the place of being righteous is found only in a relationship with a God who covers us with his righteousness. And through all of scripture, the one way to enter into this exchange is to repent. Because repentance is that invitation for us to trust God with our stuff. Whatever you're going through, whether it's some sin or habit of sin that we're caught up in, or it could be the grief, actual grief that we carry over a loss in our life, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, when we turn to God, He is right there, ready to redeem our situation. So what this speaks to me is that the testimony of the trials that we go through isn't that God has fixed it, but that He has been and always will be with us. And His presence and His glory are what make the difference in our lives to change and grow into this beautiful blessing that's planted in the world to glorify God and enjoy him forever kind of like we read in Psalm 1 verse 3 that God's people participate in relation with him that they are like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit in each season their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. And it might be strange for you, kind of like for me, if we think of ourselves in this way, because even though God calls us to be these like a great oak tree, sometimes we end up feeling more like the wimpy Charlie Brown Christmas tree that's brought down just by one glass bulb ornament. The promise that the Messiah gives here is that the mission of God's love to redeem and restore what's been lost and and bring us to the place where our lives can show the goodness of our God to the world around us. Because ultimately, the testimony of God's glory is the testimony of God's love. And God's love redefines our experiences beyond our circumstance. So in your life, in your season are you waiting are you waiting for some kind of restoration to take place maybe life has knocked you down a few too many times and you've been broken from those experiences have you been waiting to experience wholeness again maybe you're here today and you feel trapped by some situation or sin have you been crying out to god for freedom Or maybe you're in a place of grief and loss and mourning are you waiting for joy to break through somehow what the Savior has come to do is to exchange our grieving for God's good and that is made possible when we repent when we turn to God and put our faith and trust and our hope in him in Him alone. I can't promise you that today or tomorrow or maybe ever that there's going to literally and tangibly that that's going to look different, because life is a process, and your season of waiting might not be complete. But I can promise you this: God is with you. The Bible tells us in james 4 8 draw near to god and he will draw near to you and in that place of turning to god we can begin the process of the process of exchanging our grieving for god's good and experience the love that he has for us that transcends our trials and redefines our reality we only have a few short days until we arrive at christmas where we choose to celebrate and remember how Jesus Christ was born over 2,000 years ago in a little town called Bethlehem in first century Palestine. And the thing is, is that in that moment, when we get to celebrate Christmas, we're actually celebrating that God himself entered into a process that took a little over 33 years to complete from birth till his saving work on the cross all to bring us one day freedom and favor so as we consider that love that God gives us at Christmas time I want to share the words of a song I won't. I won't play it today I won't sing it today because um, we do have a closing song but I want to share the words of a song that for me, this hits close to home. Uh, In uh, December of 2018, Angie and I buy a a CD every year of new Christmas songs, uh, of worship Christmas songs, and uh, we had bought this one from Hillsong called The Peace Project. It's really cool and trendy. It was back then anyway. But there's a song on it called Seasons, and I love and I hate that song because it's so good and so convicting. Um, and I'd like to share the words with you because it, it's a recognition, especially around this time of year, of how God is a God of seasons. So I'm going to read the words to you, and then uh, we'll, we'll close this thing out. So the words go like this. Like the frost on a rose... Winter comes for us all. Oh, how nature acquaints us with the nature of patience. Like a seed in the snow, I've been buried to grow. For your promise is loyal from seed to sequoia. And I know Though the winter is long, even richer, the harvest it brings. Though my waiting prolongs even greater, your promise for me, like a seed, I believe that my season will come. Lord, I think of your love like the low winter sun. As I gaze, I am blinded. In the light of your brightness like a fire to the snow I'm renewed in your warmth melt the ice of this wild soul till the barren is beautiful and I know though the winter is long even richer the harvest it brings though my waiting prolongs even greater your promise for me Like a seed, I believe that my season will come. This is the part that's, ah, okay. The bridge goes like this. I can see the promise. I can see the future. You're the God of seasons. I'm just in the winter. If all I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience, then if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting. You can see my promise, even in the winter, because you're the God of greatness, even in a manger. For all I know of seasons is that you take your time. You could have saved us in a second. Instead, you sent a child. And when I finally see my tree, still I believe There's a season to come. Like a seed you were sown for the sake of us all from Bethlehem's soil grew uh, grew Calvary's sequoia. Friends, there are times where it feels like God is so far away. And it feels like, man, like I've just been buried. And like, what is this season all about, God? You know, questions of why come up, but then also the question of, okay, so I'm going through this. I'm not happy about it. But here we are. So God, what are you trying to do? And that song for me is a reminder, that line of, you know... If he's not done working, I'm not done waiting. And it took all those years from when Isaiah gave those prophecies to when Jesus came and ultimately fulfilled that work on the cross. It took that long. And his message of love for you is still here in the waiting. So as we look forward to Friday... We get to light all the candles and sing all the good can you know carols and eat the wonderfully rich food that none of us have any business eating this time of year. We get to remember God's love for us because God loves you today. So Robin, you come up and we're going to close in the song. Uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you never give up on me. Thank you that your grace is sufficient in my weakness when I just want to throw in the towel and say, I'm done, I'm tired. I don't want to go further. God, you are right there with me. And you're right there with my friends here this morning. Lord, you're there with us. And you're one resounding <laughs> message that sometimes it, it feels like salt of the wound because it doesn't feel this way, God, is that you love us. And you want to tell us that you love us even when the promise can't be fulfilled yet. And so, God, we put our faith and our trust in you this morning. and We put our faith and trust in your love for us that transcends our trials and our circumstances, anything we're going through. And it redefines our reality, who we are, what we're going through. It changes us. So that even if we're not done waiting, your love is enough. And so God, as we, as we close, God, we worship and we magnify you and your love this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you stand with us? As